Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Aesthetics of Leadership podcast. I am your host, Edwin Adams, and today I have Jesse Smith on the show. You might recognize Jesse if you're watching the video version of the podcast from Jesse's days as a backup dancer for the likes of Justin Timberlake and Rihanna and countless others. But since that time, Jesse's now taken a front stage approach to leadership and personal development. Our stories connect at the John Maxwell event a few years ago, and that is where I came to understand and appreciate the work that Jesse does in the world in helping young artists in particular grow and develop into their full potential with the classic leadership and development skills that that we both admire from our mentor, John C. Maxwell. So look, some great conversation about transformation is about to happen. So get your notepad and your pen ready. You're going to want to take some notes with me and Jesse Smith as we discuss the nature and appreciation of transformations, especially in leadership. Man. Well, look, thank you for a little bit of your time today to just. No, I'm excited about this. It's going to be good. Your fellowship and um, influence a lot of people who I know will find value in your story. So, man, I just appreciate you. I know you're an exquisitely busy and influential man. Oh, I appreciate it, man. It's, it's an honor to be here. So. Well, thanks for, for coming back and finding a time that, that we can have this conversation. I've wanted to have it a long time. Uh, I think I mentioned when you're at a John Maxwell event, it's hard to find you by yourself. There's always <laughs> somebody wanting, wanting to grab an ear, but I, w- I would love to know the, the story of the man behind the John Maxwell event and and behind the, you know, talking about daily creative habits and having a podcast and being a dancer, you know, there's, there's so many transformation stories and what you're doing. I don't know where to start. So I'd rather you start that. Man, (laughs) that's a good question. I mean, we could, we could start all the way back in the womb, you know, um, that was transformation. You got that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, to be honest, I, I think, I think the, and it's, it's beautiful that, that, you know, you bring up those, those things, but I think the thing that I'd want anybody listening to this or listening to this conversation to get out of this is first of all, we are all humans that have an, ex, an extremely valuable story. Um, we all have something that we've done that we've, that we've, that we are doing, uh, that we are becoming somebody we're becoming that is is a beautiful story and and it doesn't matter who you've worked with it doesn't matter what you've done um not one person is more valuable than the next and not one person's story is more incredible than the next and i say that because i used to come up you know i i i when i was when i was growing up um i was i was um bullied a lot in in school I was the unpopular kid. My parents uh, didn't have a lot of money. <clears throat> we weren't poor by any stretch, um, but we, you know, we didn't run in the the popular crowd. We didn't run in the the real big social circles. And so, when I was coming up in in school, you know, I grew up in a Christian home, and and so um, we, I, I came from a Christian school, and then into a public school in fifth grade. And ever since then, it was just kind of I was a small kid that was kind of the dork that got, you know, bullied. And, and so I always identified with two 
really big emotional drivers for me, which was I wanted to do something significant with my life because um, I didn't want to be the normal person. I wanted to do something special. But partly the reason why I wanted to do something special with my life was because I thought that doing something special with your life meant that you became somebody special. And I genuinely wanted people to love me, to like me, to think I was valuable. And I would watch, you know, the, the, the kids in sports and the kids in the popular crowds and they were, you know, they were winning basketball games and, and doing cool things or having really expensive cars or fancy clothes. And, and so I thought that the, the, I thought that the key to being successful in that sense was by being successful, by doing something significant. And so I strived every day to, to, to do something big with my life. And, and, you know, to, to paraphrase everything, um, I did do some cool things. I did, you know, dance with Justin Timberlake. I finally got to have that, uh, that opportunity to do work with Rihanna and Channing Tatum. And, you know, I've been able to, go all over the world and travel and talk in front of a bunch of, of, of folks and inspire people. But at the end of the day, the thing that I've realized is that when you try to build your self-worth and try to build your value from the things that you've accomplished, you will end up still wanting because your value can't come from what you do. Your value has to come from who you are. Your value has to come from the fact that you're a human being first. And from that, you do cool things based on the giftings that we were all given. We've, we've all done amazing things. We've all done incredible things, right? People look at the superstars on, on stage like Justin Timberlake and, you know, all those people. And they're like, man, they're phenomenal. They have a team of 180 people that make them phenomenal, right? Like we don't, we don't do anything significant or special alone. So it takes a bunch of significant and special people to make anything significant. John Maxwell says that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to do something of significance, you better bring other people with you and you better value the other people that are around you. Because once it becomes all about you and you're the special one, the significance has gone out the window. And I think that has been the biggest thing that I have taken from my journey and, and learned from getting on those stages because being on those stages in the middle of me being on those stages and doing some of those things were the middle, like the height of my career was when I actually battled depression because all the cool stuff in the world doesn't help you um, become somebody that's significant because as soon as the lights go down and as soon as everything goes away at the end of the day, if you go home to nobody reaching out to you, to nobody, you know, uh, valuing you because you've made yourself the super superstar and everybody else feels like, Oh, he's the popular guy that nobody can relate to. I can never talk to him. You still go home alone. <laughs> and so I think the biggest thing that has been you know, where everything has started from me has been where it's finished is that I realized that the things in life that are important are not what you've done, but the things that are important in our life are first who you are 
and who you get to do it with. Wow. That, you know, we might as well close the show, Jesse. There is nothing more I can add. You just added massive value to people. I hope they, they took every note possible on that. So, so Jesse, um, I preach this a lot and it's self-awareness and I can't tell you, I, I, I'm a card carrying member of waking up to the self-awareness game way too late in life. All right. So you and I sound very similar in our upbringing. I mean, very similar, except I did not dance with Justin Timberlake. There was a decision you made a lot earlier than I did about not being a victim anymore that you became self-aware enough of the giftedness to then go out and influence the world with that. I'm interested in that story. When and how did you make the shift? The shift from going from. From, 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 from victim to victor, you, you were no longer the victim of bullying. You, you found the gift within you and then you stepped forward in faith not knowing what all the right answers were going to be, but, but you went down a path of self-discovery and you found something. Um, I, I think a lot of the pain and suffering that, that, you know, sometimes we deal with in the leadership and personal development space is years of not knowing that and trying, um, not knowing how to let authenticity come out. When has that happened for you and how did it happen? You know, I feel like that comes in stages. Um, I, I think we all, because of the society that we live in, because of the culture that we live in with Instagram and, and YouTube and, and even movies, right? Where we get to watch somebody go from starting out to, to Victor in 90 minutes. We, and, and there seems to always be in these movies or in these moments that we're we're, we're taking in that there is this epiphany moment where everything changes the victory where everything shifts. And I think that we go from feeling or believing that, you know, that there's this one moment in life that changes everything. And I think that we're constantly meeting and, and evaluating and, and processing those moments. Um, you know, I think it's the, the self-awareness piece came, you know, in stages. I, I, I still think that, you know, a lot of my push to do something significant with my life, even to accomplish some of the things that I've accomplished were straight out of fear, fear of not wanting to, to fail fear of, Cause I, you know, I would say some things I would, I would want to get people's attention. So I'd come across as this bold cat that would be like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go conquer the world. Well, once you put that on blast, you better go do something. Um, but I, I think that, um, you know, the more I, the more I did it and the more I realized that, you know, in my, in my opportunities to go around and speak on stages and connect with literally, I've been over in front of over a hundred thousand people in my career we are all humans that fight with the same insecurities that fight with the same things. And all of a sudden it went from me fighting for my ability to be significant, to fight for their ability. The people that I was talking to, the people that I was connecting with, I wanted so badly for them to realize that they were valuable. Um, and, 
and then being able to be in these situations where I am talking to big names or, you know, talking to people that, you know, that, that work with the big names. And I'm going to tell you, they all struggle with the same thing. A lot of them have been on billboard charts and doing things and big mansions and doing all these things that we look at and say, oh, they've made it. But mentally, emotionally, physically, they're battling with the same things that you and I are. They're battling with the desire to be somebody significant. They're battling with the desire to be loved. They're battling with the, the, the same things to, you know, to, to connect with people in a unique way. And I think that we think because they are in the limelight that they must be good. Well, but we watch people that are in their position melt down like crazy. You know, and that's why you see the the documentaries, the, like the Britney Spears documentary, and we saw what happened to Justin Bieber a couple of years ago, and in, in front of full display where he had his meltdown, and you know he's now since come out and started singing about it and writing about it because everybody was like criticizing him, and he was sick because all of that, all of that pressure of being somebody in the limelight, they think that you know, we, we think that they, they don't need to, they don't have the same desires we do, but really they all do. And I think that was, I'm still going through those awareness stages to where it's helping me realize that if I base everything of my existence on what do I, what I accomplish, that I'm building it on a house of cards and I realize that I have to spend time getting well, good with me. I have to spend time for me. I'm a man of faith. I have to spend time, you know, in the word of God and, 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 and understanding where my identity comes from. And it was given to me at birth. It wasn't given to me, you know, based on I'll be worth this once I check this box off. And when I can really start to lean into that, I think, you know, that's where, that's where we start to really live fulfilled lives because we don't have to do something before we're worth something. Yeah, that is, that is such a hard paradigm to break because I would argue, Jesse, that the, the currency of today is attention. 100%. And when attention is the currency, it is all about an external identity. It's a little red heart that turns solid red, you know, or a like or, or a comment that taps the, the serotonin and dopamine receptors, you know. So, so there has to be a success pathway out of that. And I know you're a spiritual man. So, so guide me perhaps in talking about the the coming out of self-awareness or, or the coming into self-awareness, I should say, has to start from a spiritual perspective, right? Um, yes, I would say, I mean, there's, there's definitely that aspect to it. Yeah. I think, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's doing again, the, the awareness piece starts with us looking within instead of looking without, right. Which is the scariest thing for a lot of people to do. I mean, it, it, and I, I, I know that to be true. Cause it, you know, we're always looking for, we're always looking for us to be able to 
go out and do something to change our environment instead of being willing to deal with the mess that's already in our environment, which is our own thoughts, right? Um, for me, yeah, it, it really is a spiritual thing for me. I think when I am at, if when I am, am not at war with, you know, the, the angel and the devil, right on my shoulder. And, and I realize that there's alignment to, you know, again, for me, it's, it's God and, and, and where I feel like, you know, my belief system there is, cause there's, there is that, there is that, um, sometime that desire to fight that. Right. And I think once you become in alignment with that and you really start to be willing to ask the questions, um, and deal with, deal with some of the answers that you're just not comfortable with. Um, really it's, 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 it changes the game because, um, you know, that you've got these, you got two camps that I see from a personal and business building standpoint. It's like grind it out, right? Go, go build and grind it out. And, you know, there's this other where it's more kind of a, a peaceful approach, I guess to say, or a more, or a more calm approach where it's like, do the work, but allow space. And I have to say, I've tried both and you might be able to get results faster or whatever with the grinded out method. But what I've just had to learn is that there is no real growth without space. There's no real growth without oxygen and there's no real growth without allowing the other elements to develop and in the time frame that it needs to develop because, you know, there's this, there's this concept of, of this gestation period where, where you need to, you can do all the planning and watering and everything else, but you have to allow space. You have to allow time. You have to allow things to develop on their own. And when sometimes when you're grinding it out and you're pushing it, yeah, you can develop something, but you might actually stifle the, the, the magnitude to what it can get because you tried to push it too early. And for me, I've just learned that um, you have to allow that space, and it and it comes from again the self awareness piece uh, piece that we're talking about, where we give our si- ourselves time to work on us, and we're doing the internal work, and not always having to push the envelope to make things happen. Yeah, that I guess the the word that is coming to mind listening to you talk about that is uh, grace. That, that we don't give ourselves enough grace, uh, pause, uh, etc., to be content with some of the discoveries that we we find. Again, I think that's a comparison game, right? That that we're looking at everybody else grinding and getting outcomes, and man, look at the way they did it. So I then have to mirror that way. So everything then seems for me to turn into a hack. We've got a shortcut everything. And it's really hard to shortcut those initial stages of growth that I think are are, are so delicate and so precious. And I love the way you you spoke to those. Yeah, you can't, I mean, I I, I like the analogy that you're using with the the hack, right? We're trying to hack everything. And um, you can't have you can't have a vegan body on a microwave 
on, on, on a microwave diet. Right. And, and if you're always trying to, you're always trying to do things in 30 seconds that in a crock pot takes 30 minutes, you know, you're, you're going to get a different result. And, and the result actually might look the same, but the contents inside of it, the value inside of it, the nutrients inside of it, one, you can live off of and, and, and sustain yourself for a long time. The other one that you keep doing it, it's going to actually make you sick. And I think that, um, the difference in there is, is allowing the grace. And you talk about the comparison, man, that's, that's something I fight all the time because I'm looking at everybody. I'm looking at their social media. I'm looking at what it looks like their life looks like. I'm looking at what it looks like their business looks like. And I'll be honest with you. I still have to fight the grind at method. So my, my personality is a grinded out guy. Like I'm just going to push. And, um, but the more I push sometimes the, the worse my results get. And, uh, and again, it's, it's that grace that you're talking about without, without grace, uh, you can't have success. No, I, I, I agree. And, and you said a beautiful phrase earlier that resonates with me, the fear of failure. And, and I remember reading John's book, John Maxwell's book, failing forward, because I had an irrational relationship with fear. It was something to be avoided, not experienced, right? Because my value, uh, my perceived value was on the results that I got. And the results had to be stellar, i.e. grades were, were my mantra back then in, in high school and college. So reading John's book in college reframed totally for me that fear was what could be a valuable teaching partner, uh, a learning partner for me. And I, I find even still today, the power that fear of failure has over people age 15 to 34. It, it, so it resonates again with me, Jesse, that you spend a lot of time helping people become aware that their fear can be a servant to them. And I have found in my life story that when you help someone get what they want, you learn in the, in the process, right? Um, and for every person you serve, you get just a little bit better yourself. Have you, have you experienced anything similar to that? Yeah, I think, you know, I think uh, they always say that you learn more as the teacher than you do the student right? And uh, so to your point, I, <laughs> there's times that I'm sitting here, even having this podcast, and I'm sitting here listening to myself and saying, are you listening to you right now? Like, are you genuinely hearing your own words? And, and sometimes it's, it's, you know, I feel like we're put in a position to teach other people as, a, as grace, to give us the reminder that we need to hear ourselves. Um, because I think it's, you know, I, I, I hear this a lot with people that I talk with, um, especially when it comes to social media and I'm, I'm the same way, but I hear people say, it's so much easier for me to do social media for everybody else, but it's hard for me to do it for myself. It's so much easier for me to coach you on your life than it is for me to coach you on, or for it is for me to coach me on my own. And I think that there is that there is there is that truth, right? Where it's, um, it's so if we're teaching other people 
and we're really doing a good job of paying attention to the content that we're teaching, the lessons that we're teaching, whatever it is, it serves as a reminder to ourselves. And I will say the reason why it has helped me get better is because I hear it more. Because if I'm constantly teaching, I'm constantly reminding. And, uh, you know, so I think that there is a big value and John Maxwell talks about this too, is that we were not meant to be a river. We're meant to be a reservoir. Um, or excuse me, we're meant to be, I'm going to flip that. We're meant to be, uh, we're meant to be a river, not a reservoir. We're not meant to hold all the stuff that we're learning. And it's actually proven psychologically that we become healthier, happier people when we are giving of ourselves and we're, when we're learning information and we're teaching it out. So um, I think that that's another reason why we should always be finding a way to teach people because we just continually find a way to get better that way. Uh, that is, that is amazing. So Jesse, how did you find John Maxwell and the John Maxwell team? I've always wanted to ask you that question. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. When we were, when I was um, with my business partner, we were scaling a, a, a hearing aid franchise actually that had been failing really bad. Um, and uh, we, we saw astronomical growth. We went from, you know, $476,000 in sales going down and we brought that franchise to $4.4 million in just four years. We grew a team from four people to 17 and, you know, helping people make, you know, people that had never made more, more than $35,000 a year in sales, helping to make their first six figures. You know, I remember, I remember our, one of our consultants getting his first $20,000 check and he just cried, you know, because it was, it was more than he had made he had made more in two weeks than he normally was used to making in an entire, you know, uh, half of a year. And, um, but when you grow like that, you need some help. <laughs> and I had really been on the personal growth and development kick and had realized that a lot of our growth had been done to the personal growth and development that both my business partner at the time and I had done. And uh, so we were looking for programs on leadership and, and self-development. Also, I knew that I um, wanted to help more people. I wanted to not just help people in our franchise, but I wanted to be able to help other businesses. So we were looking for ways to be able to do that. And so um, I had found, I'd, I'd looked into Tony Robbins. I had looked into, um, you know, the, uh, the, the Les Brown stuff, I had looked into a couple of different programs out there. And after talking to all the different program coordinators and the different people on different teams, uh, I, I really settled on the John Maxwell team because one, I was more familiar with John's work and, and not John's work from a business building standpoint. I knew John's work from a leadership standpoint and how he had really poured into um, several businesses that I really respected. And so, uh, you know, that's how I decided that the John Maxwell team was where I was going to land. Incredible. So your introduction to John Maxwell was what year? 2016. 2016. So I was just the year before you. Can, can you go back to that first IMC event in Orlando and what it, 
felt like for you to find or, or, or to really witness a new tribe um, of a, a lot of like-minded people, yet diverse at the same time? Yeah, my first experience of the John Maxwell team IMC was all sorts of a bunch of emotions for several reasons. Um, one, to your point, it was it was a bunch of people wanting to grow. And I love, it's interesting, um, I love the, uh, I love being around a lot of energy. You know, I love going to concerts. I love going to conferences. I am an introvert. So I'm not necessarily the guy that's going to go and introduce myself to everybody, but I do like being in the room with energy. And, and, and I also am fascinated with speakers. I've been preaching since I was 15. So speakers are something that I, I, I kind of geek out on and, and, and they were, I mean, they are some of the best speakers on the planet. Um, and so, uh, you know, that experience was really, really amazing. Um, but I had a personal experience that was really chilling to me. And it was, it's, it's, it was, it was a big foreshadowing for me because it didn't happen until 2018. But see, when I walked into the Marriott uh, World Center for the John Maxwell team conference, the second I saw the property, I didn't recognize the property at all until I stepped foot on the grounds of the property and I walked in to the lobby area and I saw what is the World Marriott Center lobby. And chills went up and down my spine because that was the very hotel that I was discovered in for my dance career. In 2005, when I showed up to Fashion Rock, put on by Lou Pearlman, who had founded Backstreet Boys and, and NSYNC. That was where my dance career, professional dance career started. I, you know, I was chosen to be top 10 out of 1500 dancers. I danced in front of 5,000 people in the exact same lobby, the exact same spot that the John Maxwell team conference is held in. And the main area there is the exact spot on the exact stage that I danced in front of 5,000 people to get scouted by MTV, Caribbean Cruise Lines, MSA, KSA, Block, you name all the agencies out there. And I hadn't been in that hotel since. And in 2006 was when I left LA after had those big gigs. Um, I left LA with my tail between my legs. So I had, you know, and, and 2013, I had my, my failed record deal with universal that went really bad. I had sworn off the, the, the entertainment industry completely. I said, I will never do it again. I don't want to, I don't want to dance anymore. I don't want to perform anymore. I don't want to do anything because I had really a bad self-awareness about what those situations meant. And so when I walked into that hotel again, it was almost like God, the universe was knocking at me saying, remember this? you aren't done yet. And I'll tell you, I was scared to death. Wow. Wow. What? Uh, see, that's, that's definitely a God thing at work and at play right there. Amazing. So, uh, wow. So much to talk about there, but I love what you said about needing the room uh, of energy because you're an introvert. You don't want to 
necessarily be in the front of the stage in that room introducing yourself to everybody, but you appreciate the the energy and the vibe with a group of people who are trying to grow. And my friend, that's that's how I felt for the longest time there at that first meeting. As an introvert, it was exquisitely draining. I had to go find time in my day to step away from that because it was almost too much. And then you're carrying the emotion of, you know, almost a decade later, maybe if I got my math right, that you're back in the same place and it's all emotion. So I can only imagine how that propelled you. The the introversion had to take a second seat to the curiosity over what's next. So take me there after the lobby experience and going, okay, God, what, what what's up at play in my life right now? What was the next epiphany moment for you, if uh, if you can remember that? You know, that's a good question. I think it was a blur. I think here, here going back to the self awareness thing, right? Um, I think the I think it was really interesting because I went to I went to let's see four IMCs before anybody knew anything about my entertainment career. Um, so while I was there, you know, I was playing the part. Like I'm, I'm you know, I, I think I, I was so dead set against, okay, you know, one, I, who in the world is going to want to talk to a tattooed up, like dude that dresses like he's 18, right? Um, and I'm almost 40 now. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I'm in a room with CEOs and people that are, you know, starting businesses, running very successful businesses, possibly looking for people to train their staff, like all this kind of stuff. So I need to put on this image and the image is expensive suits wins the game. Like you want to look the part you want to, you want to, you know, you want to be successful. So dress successful and, you know, and, I think what I really learned during this whole experience with the John Maxwell team is that this whole concept about like people can feel authenticity before they can articulate it. People can feel authenticity and connect with it before they can tell you why that they're not jiving with you. Right. Like you've ever, you've always had, maybe you've had that experience where you're having a connection with somebody. It's not that you don't like them. It's not that you don't like, you don't want to talk to them more, but just something is off and you can't seem to figure it out. I think that, you know, the whole time that I was there, I'm sitting there, you know, dressed up and I'm not saying whether you wear a suit or you don't wear a suit is, you know, defining whether or not you're living your out, your authentic, authentic self, but what, who I was trying to be in that suit was a a completely different scenario. And I think that's the part that, um, you know, when we would go to these IMCs and I would talk about the sales process we were using to help scale our business and and all that kind of stuff, people were interested, but I was like connecting with like maybe 10, 15 people at every conference. One, because I'm not an extrovert, so I don't go and introduce myself to everybody, first of all. Um, But I was getting lost in the crowd and, 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 you know, I'm good at sales. I'm not passionate about it. I'm not passionate about 
a sales process that yes, I, I get intrigued by it and I can geek out on it. You want to talk sales? I can talk sales for a long time, but that's not what starts my engine. And so I'm going to these conferences and I'm connecting with people. But man, when I was, when they came to me and said, Jesse, we want you to dance at the, at the IMC, you know, and, and we want you to do your thing. You know, we heard about who you've danced with and would love to get you up on stage. I said, here's the deal. (laughs) Here's the deal. I, if I'm going to dance, like I can't wear a suit. If I'm going to dance, I have to just be me to a hundred percent. I'm going to dress in ripped jeans, a t-shirt. And at this time I didn't have tattoos on my hands yet. Um, I got that for a reason and we can talk about that in a second, but you know, so I had all I'm sleeved up, but I had my dress shirts covering all my tattoos. So I'm like, they're going to get a different version. And they, it was interesting because they said something that until probably a year ago, I didn't really grasp the power in what was said, but they said, just come and be you. Now, here's the interesting thing. When they said, come and be me, I didn't come in a suit. Now I had spent no joke. I had spent $3,000 on suits two weeks prior to coming to the IMC because I really wanted to impress. And I joke now that no matter how many times I tailored the suit, it didn't fit. Because the fit wasn't the problem. It was the person in it. And when I got off of stage on IMC that when I performed, I felt alive again. And you know, it was interesting because all the conversations changed. The conversations changed from what... I was what I thought I should be talking about to what naturally came out of my heart and my soul so that people connected with me and the ability for me to connect and impact people after that moment was so much more freeing and so much more natural because I wasn't trying to do something. It just was coming out of who I was. And that's when my life started to change. So I, I accredit everything in the John Maxwell team to changing my life. What I thought I was joining, uh, what I thought I was joining a program to learn leadership when really I was stepping in an environment to value myself again, to value who I was. And This is why I think it's so very important that you get around like-minded people because had I not been in that environment, when I started having all those limiting beliefs, like nobody wants a kid that's tattooed, nobody wants to, you know, see a dancer. I'm full of a bunch of business folks. What does anybody want? Do you know, I got more opportunities with ripped jeans and a t-shirt than I ever did with a $3,000 suit because you know, and Steve Sims, uh, who's somebody that I respect a lot, author of Bluefish, he was a speaker on my summit. He's known as the modern day Wizard of Oz. He kind of went through a transition like this too. You see him, he's tatted up. He's got, um, you know, t-shirt, black t-shirt, jeans. He's worked with some of the biggest brands on the planet. 
And he thought he needed to do the whole suit thing too, because that's what all the successful people did. And he, 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 he realized he went through a journey and said, I, I can't do this. It's not who I am. And this is where my phrase of we were all designed to impact somebody. We just weren't designed to impact everybody. Our job is to go find that somebody. And that somebody might not resonate with a $3,000 suit. Incredible. So I I know the listeners are probably going to know what I'm going to say because you've said the magic word environments. That seems to be a theme with season two of the show now that you bring up that the John Maxwell IMC event was an environment for you to grow. And, And how often are we not paying attention to those types of environment that are conducive to the energy coming from here out rather than uh, out in, you know, that's, that's just not how growth works. Growth comes from that soil out into the world. And yeah, I agree with you. What a, what a magical, magical place to stretch yourself and it be okay to discover yourself along the way. Is that fair? Because I, you, you know, I, I know what I've learned at those events and it sounds like you've been transformed through them as well. Yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing more freeing than being given permission to just be you. Um, I, it's it's there's nothing that will replace it, and and sometimes you don't realize how bad your soul is craving it until it actually happens, right? And I think that's been that's been. And again, it comes in stages, right? I had that big aha moment, but that's still something that's being unraveled over the last two years of really being able to step into that. And I would say even this over this last year has been even another, uh, you know, even another uh, chapter in me doing so when we started our dance show and, and, and really one realizing that, you know, I found my somebody. Now I, I first, I needed to find myself. And then I needed to be willing to admit who my somebodies were and be okay with that and not have, you know, not have some of the questions that, you know, some of the questions that people ask in business aren't bad questions, but you got to be careful with those questions. I remember somebody telling me, Jesse, you know, find the people that you want to work with. And the, the, you know, Think of the income you want to make. Think of the things that you want out of life to be able to, you know, to be able to live a fulfilled life. So when you build from that standpoint, you think, well, I want to, I want to, I want to work with rich, happy people. Right. And, and that's not always bad. And it's, it like makes sense from a logical standpoint, but maybe that's not your audience. Maybe that's not the people that you are there to impact. Now you can have maybe a chapter of your life where that's, that's it, right? Maybe your nine to five is that, or maybe you have a, a business that, that you do service those people because you definitely need to, you also need to be smart and be able to have the money that you need to have to be able to make the impact that you want to make. So I'm not saying throw out all, you know, logical senses of, of building a business, but sometimes we're asking the wrong questions. And so we're getting the wrong answers and it's leading us to the wrong people. And 
And then in the process, you get lost on who it is that you are. And I think that's something that we have to be a little bit more aware of. Yeah, um, that, that that reminds me of Simon Sinek, kind of knowing your why first, the center of the, the golden circle that drives the how and the what. And how often are we focused on, well, how do I do that? Uh, what do I need to do next without knowing the why? It does get confusing, Jesse. And after you know, decades of performance like that, it's a hardwired syndrome that then becomes, it feels like an insurmountable task. And I align that to most people saying they're experiencing a midlife crisis. I think that's just a tipping point where what's inside cannot be inside anymore. And it's trying to come out and you've got to take off layers of suits and it's gotten hot and uncomfortable in these suits for a long period of time. And finally you can breathe again, but, but along the way you've destroyed maybe so many people who saw you one way when, when you wore the mask too long and now everybody's confused on who you are. Right. So how, how do you believe people listening to this show at whatever age that is can take one step forward into self-discovery so that the mask, um, the mask can be kind of removed just a little bit and let authenticity shine. You know, I, I think I can kind of equate it to the same thing I had um, my friend Mike Brennan uh, talk on our, our summit. And um, he is an artist, phenomenal artist. And he talked about his journey from being an artist, going into being a pastor, and then actually experiencing depression because um, a lot of stuff was going on in his life. He had stepped away from one of his biggest passions, which was art. And what he found, he got back, what helped him get out of depression, what helped him kind of find his way back was really first starting to create for the love of creating not because of the outcome. And I've really, I've honestly been chewing on this for the last month um, about this and, and, and looking at it through my life. I think if you are willing to step back and say, okay, if I could be, if I think about myself in the happiest times of my life or in the happiest environments of my life or in the most fulfilling uh, activities of my life without anybody else's input, without anybody giving me their feedback on, you know, oh, you're being this way, or I don't understand why you're doing this, or do you realize that that's never going to lead you anywhere? Like if I take out all different aspects or all of these separate voices and these outside voices that are speaking in, and I just start to identify if I could just be me and enjoy me and do the things that I love to do, what would that look like? And literally give yourself permission to do that. You know, in 20, in 2020, when we had the whole pandemic happen, and, you know, much like everybody else, my business was turned upside down. I had all of my speaking engagements and, and coaching clients and everything pretty much canceled in a matter of three days. And I sat in my house battling really a lot of anxiety and just like, I've got to rebuild my business and my business at the, at the time was still focused on sales and leadership. 
And, and I was getting burnt out because I was not doing what I really love to do, which is performing. I wasn't spending time with the people that I love to spend time with, which was performers. And, and uh, you know, and so um, I had to ask myself some really hard questions. And I think the, 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 the value that came out of it, yeah, it was a wrestle match because I had all of these self-doubting, you know, these limiting beliefs that were keeping me from, from being able to be okay with the answers that were coming. But when I separated myself of all of the results, okay, if you do this, you're going to get this. Okay. When I was willing to just step away from all of the, you know, creating for the reason of this. And I was just willing to say, okay, if I could create just for the value of creating and just being me, what would that look like? And I think if we all give ourselves permission to explore that question, you know, and, and I think that gives us a good starting point. Now I'm not saying there needs to be some, there doesn't need to be some things that need to shift or shape, or, you know, we need to, we do need to have certain voices speak into our lives to give us direction and guidance. But I think starting there first is really, really valuable for people that are trying to get unstuck for people that are trying to rediscover themselves, for people that are that are battling anxiety and depression and can't figure out why, I think that's a good starting point. Incredible, incredible. Well, look, Jesse, I could keep talking with you for hours on these topics. Uh, every word out of your mouth resonated with, with something within me. And thank you for being a good teacher today. Uh, this, this was exquisitely transformational for me to hear an uh, an artist and a and a leader who i respect reflect back on on me words that i needed to hear so thank you so much for that man um i i knew there was something special to be had in this conversation with you so thank you for for giving me the best of you um there are probably a lot of other people that your your message and your story resonated with. Um, how can people continue to follow you? What is Jesse up to in the world? How can people connect? I know you're just off five days of uh, your first virtual summit, so I'd love to hear a little bit about that and how people can stay connected to you. Yeah, man. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for just giving me the the space to have a conversation. I love having these kind of conversations and, and uh, it's always an honor when somebody gives me um, the ability to share the stage with them. So I, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, we've been, we've been up to a lot. I mean, we had, we did our uh, very first creating your big break summit. Um, I really, uh, you know, over COVID, I started a dance show called worldwide dance challenge. I really identified that I really wanted to be back in the dance space, the entertainment space, the performance space. And, uh, the group that I decided to, to really dive into was the dancing world. Cause I just love dancing and, and love that world. And so we provided a, uh, an online dance competition called worldwide dance challenge, where we bring in dancers from literally all around the world from all different styles to compete head to head live online for a chance to be named the world's best. And we're wrapping up our final seat, our final uh, showdown for that. Somebody's going to be taking home $5,000 in a spot in a feature film. So super excited about that. But, you know, I started the show because I wanted to be able to connect with dancers again. Um, but I knew from being a dancer and I knew from 
you know, still having conversations and watching people on Instagram and do all these and, and, and YouTube and everything else, I really started to see that dancers were again, great at creating content, great at creating, uh, you know, videos that'll wow you, but they definitely failed in a lot of ways to understand how to actually turn it into a business. And, and, you know, a lot of them are waiting. So a lot of them are waiting for this, this big break opportunity to happen. Right. And so that was my inkling, but I, I thought I was pretty much on the money, but I knew that I wanted to validate that. So I started the show because I knew that before I could help dancers with what they needed, I needed to give them what they wanted. And again, I had been so far removed from the dance industry. Nobody knew who I was and nobody was going to care. So, um, you know, I needed to give myself something to be a reason to have conversations with these dancers. And so we started to invite dancers on the show. And, uh, I mean, we have, we have now done over a hundred episodes, uh, of the show in, uh, I think in the last nine and a half months. And, um, with these conversations, I started to realize that my inkling was true, that these dancers really were great at performing, great at creating their art, but they just weren't good at being an entrepreneur. And they thought that there was, you know, the one way they needed to go to auditions and they needed somebody to see their talent and then book the gig. And then their life was going to change. And I just knew that there was a better way. So I thought, you know, what if I could help them find a better way? And especially since I had had now this experience as an entrepreneur and understanding how to scale businesses and do all these kinds of things, I wanted to give these dancers the information that they needed, that they could actually build their own big break, that they could build a stage, they could attract the right audience, be able to impact that audience so they could monetize them, and then also um, be able to scale it. And so I brought in speakers from all different aspects of building uh, your big break. I had performers and business builders, 40 plus speakers, everyone from Jordan Harbinger, Evan Carmichael, Steve Sims to Richie Jackson, who's Lady Gaga's choreographer and all these amazing people come together and teach on how to, you know, build a platform, how to, what, what's a sales page, how to, how to build a, a sales funnel, how to create an offer, how to do IG right to build the right audience, everything. And so we wrap that up into five days and package that in. And, uh, it's, it's been an amazing experience. We, uh, we just wrapped up, we just wrapped up, uh, you know, our first, um, our first five days, and then we're going to be doing an encore weekend here, the following, this following weekend for people that didn't get the, the first run around, they're going to get this, they're going to get this encore. So that's really what we've been working on. And, and I've got a couple of other things in the works as far as getting season two wrapped or started for uh, worldwide dance challenge and continuing to make sure that we're making an impact in the dance world. But um, it's a lot of fun to actually be back in the environment that I love being who I was created to be and impact the people I was created to impact. Yeah, well, clearly that that self awareness is is the the highest um, value contribution that comes from the definition of leadership. So, congratulations, man, on finding your influence. I, I know our friend John would would say that leadership is influence, and you are clearly wielding that sword very effectively and and from a servant heart. And uh, you're a transformational artist, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for the gift of you. That's, that's, 
the best way I can end this in this interview is is in gratitude for the gift that I have received from you today. And through the John Maxwell team, your influence there has transformed the event. Uh, you're the highlight of the show, uh, helping others get up there and have the courage to dance in front of 3000 plus people. Amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, man. No, it's, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. I, again, I just appreciate you giving me the opportunity to have the conversation with you. It's been fun. 